Thank you, Jeanette. And good morning, friends. And thank you, worship team. I, I just love your music. I love, I love worshiping in music. It's not the only way we worship, but it touches my heart in a special way. I hope it touches yours too. I'm Charlie Lahardy. I'm going to bring, bring, bring in the message this morning. Um, we're going to continue in this uh, series that we've had called um, Talk to Me. And a couple weeks ago, uh, Becca Anderson gave some uh, thoughts about how we talk to God, and especially as it relates to the, the uh, sacrament of communion. And Becca talked about her love of stories in that, and she talked about especially loving the the uh, series of books, Harry Potter, and how she had finally gotten to the place as a mom where her daughter, Carly, was able to appreciate that, and she was sharing Harry Potter stories with her daughter. And that reminded me, too, of, of first of all, that I love books, I love stories. Um, when I am taking free time, I suppose you'd say, I, I usually dive into a book of some sort. I have lots of books that I have going, many at one time. But I remember as a, as a dad growing up that um, both Kathy and I really enjoyed reading to our kids. It was, it was one of the delights of, of being parents, reading stories to them. The church has many stories. We're going to be talking about stories today. This church has stories. Your life has a story. Um, I began attending this church, not here, in about 1986 or so. And at that time, we were meeting way over at the Orange Grove Middle School in the library where we were surrounded by books every, every Sunday. And we carved out a space so that we could worship together there. 1986, I mean, was, that was like in the last century, you know, right? But 1986, uh, the number one hit on the music parade that day, those, that day was the Bangles Walk Like an Egyptian, you know, remember that? Like that, like that, something like that. Walk Like an Egyptian in 1986. Also in 1986, Motorola introduced this tiny little phone that you could carry anywhere and you could communicate with your friends no matter where you were at. And with all those buttons there, you know there was not a single button for doing emojis. And in 1986, this is what email looked like. Because there was no internet in 1986. I mean, we lived in the darkest of times back then, didn't we? No, no video games, no chat, no Instagram. I don't know how we communicated. I don't know how we crawled out of the slime to, to come to this place today, but we did somehow. A lot has changed in our world since then, but what hasn't changed and what never changes is God's faithfulness to his people and God's faithfulness to Grace Community Church. Over more than 30 years, we've been really blessed, truly blessed by having three wonderful pastors who were godly people who sacrificed themselves for us, who poured their lives into ministry here, Dan Johnson, Scott Gillen, and David Hillis. And as God has written the stories of their ministries in this church, our Heavenly Father has used each of them to write the story of His love into your hearts and into my heart. And I want to tell you that I'm confident that Grace's story which is a tiny but a very important part of God's story, will continue to be written for years and years to come in the hearts of men and women who are seeking to know Jesus Christ. And I'm confident that the God who began a good work in this small community of believers more than 30 years ago will continue to do that same good work 
to shine his light through us as long as we seek him first. This is a good time in the life of our church to be learning about prayer and to be praying. And I'd like to encourage you, as I've been praying too, to pray for all of us as we discern God's will, to pray for our leaders as they try to find out where God is taking us, and please especially pray for David Hillis and Teresa and their son Isaac. So today is a good time for us to look once again at prayer and how we talk to God. The scriptures, you know, describe God in all sorts of ways. They talk about God being our father. God is the creator. God is our provider, our rock, our savior, our redeemer, our shepherd. Did you know that God is also described as an author in scripture? In Acts 3.15, Peter calls him the author of life. In Hebrews 2.10, the writer calls Jesus the author of our salvation. And again, in Hebrews 12.2, Jesus is called the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me share something from Pastor Eugene Peterson. He says, the author of the book is writing us into his book. We aren't writing him into ours. The author of the book, the author of life, the author of the stories of our life, God is writing us into his story. God is writing us into his book. God's story is a love story. Now, to tell you the truth, that's not my favorite sort of story. It's a good thing, though, that there are love stories, and it's a good thing that God's story is a love story. It's not a story without sadness. It's not a story without heartache, but most love stories have some some aspect of those things. But God's story is ultimately a story of faithfulness and redemption and reconciliation and mercy. So today, as we continue in this series that we've called Talk to Me, by the way, if you haven't listened to all the other sermons in this series, all the other messages, you can do it pretty easily. They're all online at mygrace.church. Just click on the messages card and then scroll all the way to the bottom and there's a button there that says Sermon Library and you can call up any of the messages that you haven't heard or that you just want to listen to again. There's some great perspectives there from the various people that have been sharing about what it means to talk to God. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 116, and I thought that was appropriate because Psalm 116, which is one of King David's psalms, is actually a prayer. In fact, a lot of the psalms, if you read through them, you'll find that they are prayers of David. In Psalm 116, David remembers some of his own story, and he remembers how God was present in some of his most difficult circumstances, and then David thanks God for his help, thanks God for his faith throughout his life. And finally, David pledges himself to walk beside God day by day. So our big idea this morning is God is writing our story into his story by remembering his mercies to us, by living in gratitude for his faithfulness to us. We will walk in his presence in the certainty that he loves us and has us in his hands. Let's begin by reading Psalm 116 together. Uh, You can read it from your own uh, smartphone or whatever, or read it from the screen up here in front of us. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, please, Lord, save me. 
How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you, these people are all liars. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. As my title suggests, I'm going to suggest dividing this psalm into three key ideas, which I've titled, Remember, Be Grateful, and Keep Walking. But before we go there, we're going to look back at what Brian talked about as he uh, talked to the children this morning. David tells us why he loves God, and he does that in the very first verse. He says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy, because he bends down to listen I will pray as long as I have breath. Because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy, because he bends down to listen. That really reminds me of growing up as a father of young kids. You know, when they come in and they're all excited and they want to tell you something, but their voices are kind of quiet and maybe there's a lot going on and you bend down so that you don't miss a word, so that you can pay attention to them. God does that to us. God is so interested in what you have to say. He bends down, and that's why David said he loves God. And it's important that God listens because the people, the gods that were worshipped in the time of David were stone or wood carvings that had no mouth, no ear, no, no brain, no spirit, no power. The God of Israel was different. Abraham said so, Moses said so, David said so, and so many others. They said that the God of Israel speaks. They said that the God of Israel would communicate in dreams to his people or he would uh, send angelic messengers to his people to tell them what he was thinking. And the God of Israel listened. David imagines God bending close so as not to miss a detail. And he's confident that God is listening. And so he says, I will pray as long as I have breath. When I was young, I thought praying was pretty much a waste of breath. I mean, who am I that God would want to listen to me? Who am I that he would want to pay attention to me? And even as an adult, maybe you felt this too, there have been times when I felt like God had shut his ears to me, right? Sometimes we feel like God is distant. Maybe he's not really listening. David knew something about God that we really need to take to heart, and that is that God listens. God never misses a word. And even when we can't find words, Paul says in Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit prays for us, prays knowing our hearts and puts into words things that we can't express ourselves. So next, after saying why he loves God, 
David remembers the times in his life when God listened and when God reached out to him in mercy. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. And then I called on the name of the Lord, please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Now, if you've heard much about David's life, you'll know that he's not really, not at all being melodramatic here. David had real enemies, foreign enemies, domestic enemies. There were armies that had been sent out to find him and kill him. His own sons launched coups against him, tried to unseat him because they wanted his throne. Two of his sons died violently, one at the hand of the other. His own sin, as you know, and bad judgment caused terrible pain for himself and for the nation of Israel and for his family. And as he looks back, David remembers being at the end of his rope. He remembers being overwhelmed. He was out of ideas. He was weak. He was vulnerable. He was near death. David, this is the guy that slew Goliath, right? Suddenly David, the hero, is now quaking and afraid that he's going to die. And so in childlike faith, those are his words, childlike faith, he prayed. He called out to God and God listened. You ever been in a place like that? Maybe not literally fearing for your life, but feeling overwhelmed by events, feeling like you were a leaf blown in the windstorm. What was that like? What kept you awake at night? What, what, if anything, did you say to God? As you look back on the story of your life, as you think back on the story of your life, are there any hints of God's mercy to bring you safely through those stormy times. How did you get here today? Anybody come by hovercraft? <laughs> Helicopter? No, probably boringly by car. Probably have a certain route mapped out to get you here for the least number of Oro Valley stoplights. That's really not what I'm talking about, though. What's your story? What are the highways you've taken in life? Where were the dead ends? Think back for a moment over the sunny days and think back to the blizzards and think back to the heartaches and the joys. Think about all the events and all the people who have made it possible somehow for you to show up in the house of God this morning to worship. How has God written your story into his story? A year ago yesterday, I was at my mother's bedside as she died. Mom had been diagnosed with sudden-onset leukemia in June of last year, and she decided to try chemotherapy at the recommendation of her doctor. She was 88 up until that, uh, and up until that point perfectly healthy and living on her own and um, vibrant and yet suddenly sick. And her doctor said, if you do chemo, somebody's going to have to live with you 24-7. And so my sister, who lives not too far away, decided she would move in with mom. And as I prayed about it, I decided I needed to be there too. And so I, I went to live with my mom for a while. So we moved mom's bed downstairs into the living room because we knew pretty soon she'd be too weak to climb the stairs to her bedroom. And it was in uh, 
next to these big um, sliding glass windows so she could look out and watch her bird feeders and watch the bird. And, and we just, you know, settled down to do life together. We um, took long drives to Duke University Hospital in Durham for treatment. We had physical therapy, where there were hospitalizations, there were emergency room visits, there were blood transfusions. And then there were lots of ordinary things too. We cooked meals, we washed clothes, we talked, we laughed. We um, watched reruns of Wagon Train and Blue Bloods on TV. My mom, my mom was a secret, uh, had a secret crush on Tom Selleck and so Blue Bloods, she never missed a one. We also spent time praying together and reading the Bible and going to church when she felt strong enough and we all tried to listen to God. So why did I need to go? Why did I feel I needed to go? Maybe that's a dumb question, but as I think about it, you know, there are lots of reasons, actually. I went because I loved my mom and I wanted to help her. I went because I knew it would cheer her up to have her, her daughter and her son there with her at the same time. Um, but primarily, really high on my list of reasons to go was that it was my way of expressing my gratitude to my mom and being there was the best way I knew how to do that. Mom and Dad were married on April 1st, 1950 in Baltimore, Maryland, in front of their friends and their family who celebrated them in all the usual ways with happiness, wishes of happiness and wishes of prosperity. Uh, I was their first child and I came along almost two years after they were married. Baltimore at the time was in the middle of the post-war boom and so it was a thriving city. My dad had a good job as an accountant and then by 1957, he was able to move our family to a new home in a growing suburban town just north of the city. My sister was born a couple of years after me, and then my brother came along not long after we moved to the suburbs. Dad was advancing in his company, and my parents had lots of friends and seemed to be doing really well. But not long after my brother was born, things began to change. Dad became increasingly moody and irritable, which wasn't like him. At times, he would come home full of laughter and the life of the party, just like the old dad. But then there were times, more and more times, when he came through the door angry and irritable and sullen. My parents began arguing frequently. Dad started spending money that he didn't have. He's buying sports cars and artwork and jewelry and taking his friends on expensive trips. He started gambling. He started drinking heavily. And at times, he would just disappear for a few days, and then he would come back like nothing had happened. We all knew something was wrong, all, all except for him. He denied it. He refused to get help. And in any case, as I think back, you know, on the state of mental health care in early 1960, I don't know what kind of help he really could have gotten. Anyway, things got progressively worse over a period of years. And I remember the last time I saw him, we were sitting down around the dinner table. My impression is... Um, that he was probably drunk or getting there. He stumbled into the table and he spilled my milk. And uh, my mother had some kind of words with him and then they had an argument as often happened. And then he stormed out and drove away in his uh, latest sports car. I think it was a Porsche. And two or three days later, um, the Pennsylvania police contacted mom to tell her that dad had committed suicide. Now I'll pause there, kind of jump forward. Over the years of my life, I've struggled myself with mental illness a lot, just like my father. And you know, um, some of you remember that a couple years ago, I um, tried to um, jump off of a ladder 
not really. I fell off of a ladder, and I, and I broke my hip. And then the EMTs came, you know, and did their EMT thing and took me to the hospital. And then surgeon met with me. And then the next day he did his surgeon thing and gave me a brand new hip. And now, you know, I can dance with the stars, you know. Um, but when you, when you have a mental illness, there's, there's no surgery. There's nothing that can easily be done to just sort of cut something out and make it all better again. Mental illness can change your personality. It can leave you unable to discern truth from fiction. It can rob you of the will to live. It can lead you to act irrationally, unpredictably, sometimes even dangerously. And for a long time, I've thought, and others too, that the church of all places should really be a group of people, a body, a place that responds well supports well people that are dealing with mental illness, a place where they can be dealt with patiently, dealt with lovingly, encouraged, even when they may be denying that there's really any problem with them. And I think also the church needs to be a place where we come alongside families of those who are struggling with mental illness because the families are always seriously impacted when someone in their own midst is struggling with something like this. I hope we can be a place, a a group of people who deals with these sorts of things with understanding and respect, practical help and encouragement, and much, much prayer. So my dad's death, obviously, was a heavy blow to our family. It really changed everything. It really changed everything. And, you know, I think back at the possibilities, and my mom could have collapsed in despair and given up, but instead... In all her grief, she went and searched for answers by going to the church, by by pushing towards God. And she was not prepared to raise three children by any means, but she found a way to do it. Part of the reason that she found a way to do it, as I look back, I see that God really was the source of her strength. God really was a source of hope for her. And I've always been amazed, frankly, as I've thought about her, especially in her later years. She was a little slip of a woman, you know. And, but she had a strength of heart that came from God, and that allowed her to keep things together for us. Several years later, Mom decided that we needed a fresh start, and so she moved our family to Raleigh, North Carolina, where she was living when she died. Um, and it was in Ma- Raleigh that she really discovered Jesus. She really connected with Christ. And she really connected with the grace and love of Christ and gave her life to Christ. As happens, my dad's death had the opposite effect on me. As the years went by, I became angry, I became isolated and self-hating, and I blamed all of my unhappiness on God and really wanted nothing to do with him. But mom was gentle and mom was kind and patient and she prayed. And as we got as she got connected into this church, there were high school people there uh, that began praying for me and encouraged me to come to the youth group, you know, and I, that was like death. I wanted nothing to do with that, but they wore me down, and I began coming to the youth group and hearing the, the message of love in Christ and seeing their joy and hearing about hope, and my life was transformed as well. It was by God's mercy that I met my wife, Kathy, 
who's helped me know Jesus far better than I ever could on my own. And it was by God's mercy and grace that I became a father and had the privilege of raising two children. So I'm grateful for the many ways that God has led me into his arms and God's people have led me into God's arms. What about you? How do you see God's mercies at work in your life? Can you see it? How do you see God's mercies at work in your life? But when David looked back on his life, I mean, he saw all sorts of unpleasantness, grief, regret, but he also saw how God had saved him. And so the next part of this psalm is all about living in gratitude. He says, what can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Do you hear the gratitude in his words? The Lord cares deeply. I am your servant. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but I've always felt a kinship with the prodigal son story, as Jeanette mentioned earlier. One of my favorite books, which I've actually stolen from Pastor David's library and haven't yet returned, is uh, Henry Nouwen's book, the return of the prodigal son. Nowen was inspired by this painting by Rembrandt, which is Rembrandt's kind of way of envisioning what it looked like when the prodigal son came back to his father. The son in this picture is dirty and ragged. His head is shaved. Is shaved. He's full of shame. He kneels at his father's feet, really expecting to be rebuked, really expecting nothing at all. And the father forgives him and lifts him up and takes him back again, fully restored to his place in the family. And this is how God loves you and me. That kind of love should fill us with gratitude. And here's what Nouwen says. He says, gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all that I am and have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated with joy. Gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all that I am and have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated with joy. Do you believe that? Verses 12 through 17 get practical about how David is going to express his gratitude to God. I think it pushes him sort of in two different ways to respond. First of all, he promises to make an offering to God. And we see in verse 13 this thing of lifting up the cup of salvation. And in verse 17, he says he's going to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Both of these, first of all, were public acts. So he talks about doing this in the temple so everybody could see his devotion to God and his change of heart. Um, and I think there's a lot that's kind of similar to what David is doing here to what we did at the end of the first service in baptism. Baptism is a public declaration. It says, I am saying to all of you that I am changing. I'm going in a new direction. God has entered my life in a new way and I want to declare that. And that's what David is saying here when he talks about lifting up the cup of salvation and sacrificing making a sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
And then the second thing he does, he says, I'm going to keep my promises, Lord. I'm going to fulfill my vows, he says in verse 17. I'm going to do what I've told you I'm going to do. I'm going to begin living rightly before you. And he even says, I am your servant. I am your servant. He's the king of Israel, the king of a great kingdom. And he says to God, I am your servant. I want to walk with you. So boiled down, David's gratitude, I think, leads him to say, I'm going to recommit my life to the Lord, and I will follow his lead and his laws because God has been merciful to me and I am grateful. And so, after David remembers God's faithfulness, after he expresses his gratitude, what remains? Well, I'm jumping back to the middle of, the, of Psalm 116 to verse 9. It seems like verse 9 is something of a hinge for this psalm. The first part, David's looking back. It's all in the past tense. The second part, it's all sort of future tense where David is thinking, these are the things I'm going to do. Verse 9 is the only thing that really, that he says it's really kind of in a present and continuing tense. So I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. Becca Anderson, when she spoke uh, a few weeks ago, she said that the original purpose or job, if you want to call it that, that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden was to tend and care for the garden. And by continuing that, we have a responsibility to tend and care for God's creation. I think that's exactly right. But there was something else that God intended for us, both then and now. God, you remember, walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And I think God wants to walk with you and me through life. If we want to experience the abundant life that Jesus promises, we have to do life with God. We have to walk through life in God's presence. We have to walk through life at God's pace. We have to walk through life in conversation with God. Now, there's an interesting thing about this verse, um, verse 9 that I found in a book by Pastor Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is the one that translated the message translation, if you're familiar with that. He says, in Psalm 116, the basic verb walk is drawn out by adding a syllable and lengthening the word, thus slowing it down. It's as if the writer is saying, let's get the most out of this verb that we possibly can. It becomes something more of the order of, I walk back and forth, or I stroll meditatively. I wander about leisurely. I saunter. Instead of walking straight to your destination down the shortest route possible, it suggests a casual walking around, taking in the sights, absorbing the beauty, communing with one's soul, conversing with a friend, what one of my friends calls prayer walking. And what I think is interesting is that this same trickiness with the verb lengthening it is also there in Genesis when God talks about walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. It suggests maybe that walking in the Lord's presence is something that ought to slow us down just a bit. Now, maybe not literally slow us down. You and I don't have much control over the pace of life. I think slowing us down in the sense that not, we, not life slows down for us literally, but rather... We maintain our focus on God. We don't have much control over how fast things go or how fast things are thrown at us or what kind of curveballs life throws at us. But if we're strolling through life in the Lord's presence, 
I think we do have control over and we'll do what we can to include our Heavenly Father as we do life. So somehow in the midst of all the craziness to maintain our focus on God, to walk with Him, even behind Him. And I think that's kind of like what the strolling with God might be like. We can stroll through life with God if we keep looking for opportunities to talk to Him as we walk. And if we're also intentionally grateful for the fact that He's here, bending down to listen. Psalm 116 is a really personal confession to God. And I think all prayer has to be personal or else it's just noise. Prayer needs to be honest. It needs to be an unvarnished expression of what's in our hearts, what's in your heart, what's in my heart. And really, you know, what's the point of, under, of, of pretending? What's the point of hiding things? What's the point of saying flowery things to God when you don't feel them? God knows exactly where you are, exactly what you're struggling with. God loves you unconditionally, no matter where you're at. God knows you through and through, and God welcomes you back when you've wandered off. God listens patiently and kindly to us when we're hurting or when we're angry or when we're disappointed. And God still always wants to stroll through life with us. So, remember God's mercies, live in gratitude, and keep walking in the presence of God. Let's pray together.